Thank you, Sheldon. It's good to see you all here. An honor to participate in your service here at East Chestnut Mennonite. To the best of my knowledge, I've never been here before. So I'm getting to know you and uh, appreciating that. I do know a few faces here. I won't try to name all of them. Uh, maybe I'll at least risk uh, noting uh, Linford and Marietta King. I know you're here, but I'm not sure where you've gotten to back there. Uh, we had the uh, honor of having them in our family's life uh, last summer, just about a year ago. Uh, Linford and Marietta performed the uh, service for our daughter Rachel's uh, wedding. Rachel is the only one of our daughters not here this morning. I'm pleased that uh, Katie and Christy are here, along with Christy's uh, husband, Adam, and uh, my wife, Joan, uh, is here as well. Thank you for being here. I'm going to uh, be a good servant of the Lord and stay with you after the worship service, but uh, they're on a trip uh, up to New York State to see my mother-in-law and uh, spend a few days there while the dean uh, stays here and then goes down to the seminary. The New Testament is full of people born broken, but whom Jesus forgave. They, like we, had been born into a world that warped, misshaped, twisted them from the start. We sometimes hear this named original sin. Now, this doesn't mean babies are born bad. Mennonites see babies as precious jewels, and I was struck in participating with you in the experience of baptism this morning that, according to our theology, those of you who were not baptized until this morning were not, therefore, in danger of going to hell if you had died before that. But from the day a baby first looks into a parent's face, the baby gazes into eyes that aren't entirely right. Sometimes we say there's just something not quite right about her, or something about him gives me the heebie-jeebies. Actually, we might say such things about anybody, because all of us aren't quite right. And that's the world each baby is born into. My mother and father weren't quite right when I was born, and both died this past year, still not quite right. Their parents weren't quite right when they were born, and never were. To her dying day, my mom pondered her relationship with her mom, seeking ways both to make peace with what wasn't right and to love what was. Parkinson's had mostly stolen her ability to write, but in her last years, she pieced together two or three pages about her long-gone mother, I remember how often when I would go to visit her at Virginia Mennonite Retirement Community, she would look for those pages and seek to add another sentence or two. My mom was doing something we all need to do, which is to find our way through what it means that our parents and their parents behind them, on back to the beginning, weren't quite right. So we're not quite right either, nor are our children except, of course, for mine here this morning. <laughs> Love them however best we can. We still pass on being not 
quite right. And on it goes. So no wonder each generation, twisting and twisted, makes foolish choices. Then add that we live also amid the twisted twistings of billions of people, all twisting each other. And if you think about it too long, you have to wonder why all the twistings haven't destroyed us all. Maybe that could happen yet. Given last week's Thomas Friedman column in the New York Times, commenting that we're right now passing beyond Earth's ability to sustain us all. We just haven't moved yet past denial to grasp that droughts, floods, fires, and ecological disasters in U.S., China, and worldwide will prove beyond human ability to completely fix. Global warming will shrink food supplies, which may be why food prices are already soaring, and we're on the cusp of having to untwist consumerist lifestyles, which Friedman believes we will in favor of life-giving, happiness-focused living, because, according to his column, if we don't, we will die. The twistings passed to us, which we pass on to others, shape many of us in at least two ways. One is making us all likely to do twisted things. We're born into this twisting river, and it carries us on in the direction it was headed even before we were born in it so that we float on toward all the lying, stealing, cheating, meanness, betrayals, adulteries, addictions, injustices, killings, it bends us toward. We do these twisted things, and they twist back on us and hurt us and others. A second way being born into these twisting shapes us. Even if we don't do much that's all that we still sense the twisting in us, at least if conscience itself hasn't been totally silenced. So many of us feel deep down bad, ashamed, guilty, not only because we've sometimes done bad things. As my mother would tell you, I have done some of those. I still remember, and maybe this is part of the source of my sermon, I remember when she would look into my eyes and she would say, Something in there isn't quite right. <laughs> and she especially did that after I practiced looking straight into her eyes when I'd stolen a candy bar. And at first she thought I was telling the truth, and then she realized that look, the innocent look, was the look of guilt. And then after that I was stuck because she always believed I was lying to her. <laughs> so we live with the effects of knowing that we have done bad things and lied. But sometimes also we just seem bad to ourselves even when we could argue that the lives we're living are mostly pretty good. These effects of the twisting we're born into, doing more twisted things or feeling twisted even when we don't do that many overtly twisted things, we're felt, and I think you can sense this in the text that were read this morning, by people in Jesus' day. I think that's the meaning of John 7 with the thirst for the living water. And then the sights and sounds and tastes we see scattered throughout the Gospels of those who are craving 
to have that thirst met. But Jesus would untwist. He'd do it in at least two ways. First, when people were doing twisted things, Jesus would help them untwist. This happened with Zacchaeus, a tax collector who had extorted money. After lunch with Jesus, he said he'd stop it and even untwist what he had twisted by giving away half of everything he had, plus returning to people from whom he'd stolen four times what he'd take. I'm always struck by the intensity of that effort to make amends. We could probably use a little more of that in our lives today. Four times what he had taken. Often people were suffering less because they had done something twisted and more because they were caught in the twisting effects of the world and sensed ways they weren't quite right. Think of the paralyzed man brought to Jesus. We don't really know his background. Maybe he had done something that was really problematic, but we don't really hear anything particularly noteworthy in the story. What we do know is that eventually Jesus healed his paralysis, but before he did anything for the man's body, he said, Son, your sins are forgiven. So often, Jesus told people, Your sins are forgiven. Why? To heal them from that deep wound we all carry, feeling ourselves part of the twisting. The gift Jesus gave people by forgiving them, by helping them stop the twisted things they were doing or telling them they need no longer feel twisted, was priceless. This is why the crowds, I believe, swamped Jesus. They craved freedom, both in the literal level of having their lives restored and at the psychodynamic and inner level of feeling their lives restored to wholeness and to presence with God. Then Jesus died. This is a quick sweep through, but arose. And John 20 reports a remarkable and moving thing. It reports that when Jesus first appeared to his disciples, he went right back to dealing with the twisting. I don't know where you've often focused on Pentecost Sunday. I have mostly focused on the Acts 2 text, and it's worth focusing on. It's a powerful telling of that first Pentecost experience of the Christians with the fire and wind coming upon them. But the John 20 text has its own richness, and part of the richness is the way Jesus, in his offering of the Spirit right after his rising from the dead, so focuses again on peace and forgiveness. Twice he said, peace be with you. Maybe the first time was just a warm greeting, common in that day. But some Bible scholars suggest that the second time Jesus says, peace be with you, he is offering the peace we feel when Jesus lifts us out of our twistings through his forgiving love. Throughout the centuries, Christians have reported feeling peace, when finally they experience in their own lives the effect of hearing Jesus say that he now releases them, releases us from it all through his peace be with you, the peace of forgiveness. But in John 20, he isn't done. 
After his second peace greeting, he adds, As the Father has sent me, so send I you. Then when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And here again, I'm struck with what happens next, something that I haven't highlighted a whole lot for myself, and maybe we haven't always, and yet it's quite intensely present here. Right after receive the Spirit, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Just a tremendous linking of peace, spirit, forgiveness of sins. This is huge. Jesus is breathing into his followers the same Holy Spirit that had empowered him to untwist lives. Though, as John 7 puts it, that spirit was not yet available to be offered to his followers because he had not yet been glorified. But now he has been glorified. And so he's saying that now as he prepares to leave. The very same powers that had so drawn crowds to him are not departing with him. The powers are breathed into his disciples as the coming of Jesus' spirit is inextricably linked with forgiveness. Now this doesn't mean God can't directly forgive us. It does mean one main place the work of Jesus continues is as we forgive each other. Now, I didn't know there was going to be a baptism sermon until I got here this uh, service until I got here this morning but certainly there is a tremendous cross connection between the story of John 20 and the offering of peace spirit and forgiveness and the meaning of baptism which is a commitment to join together as part of this body who now offer as members to each other the forgiveness of Christ One way it works is, as you've begun to experience here this morning, and you know far better than I how you work at it here. I learned something about this when, as pastor at Springmount Mennonite Church, where I was until uh, the middle of 2008, I helped lead a team of three elders and two pastors. Among its purposes was to lovingly manage the power Jesus gave Christians to forgive or not forgive sins. This was an awesome and dangerous and life-giving power. Often we had to ponder what to do when participants' lives didn't live up to the teachings of the church. Sometimes we as pastors and elders had to ponder what to do when, as delegates to Franconia Conference, there were decisions about retaining or forgiving sins that delegates had to make And we in that elders team were not always united on how those decisions should be made. And yet we continued to work together at that process of discernment. We could, and this was part of the danger, just love those involved with things that were not up to the teachings of the church and the expectations of Christ, while pretending we didn't even notice their twistings. But Jesus gave us the power to forgive sins and also the power not to forgive until the time is right. And part of forgiveness is the naming of the twisting which releases us from continuing to live in it. 
So the elders team wrestled with how gently and sensitively, yet truly, to name and in the right time forgive the twistings that came to us. On the other hand, we all feel quickly judged, bruised, rejected. If our elders team was too harsh, we'd just feed the twisting, harming souls and lives yet again rather than offering Jesus release. Expressing our own twistings, we'd risk choosing, retaining sins when we should be forgiving them. As I said, a high and holy and treacherous task, this power to retain or forgive sins. This is one reason why we so struggle in congregations and across the church with the issues that divide us. Often at the very core, we're tussling over whether and how we should forgive. And it matters how we decide. Lives hang in the balance as we discern which moves will untwist the twisting and which twist it tighter. Now, although John 20 likely is more addressed to the community of disciples, to a body such as East Chestnut Mennonite Church participates in, to the kind of experience we had this morning in celebrating the meaning of baptism. Maybe we still dare draw inspiration from John 20 for our own individual journeys. I'll spare you the gory details, but my mother's final months were often horrific, as amid body breakdown, Unresolved twistings also writhed in our family like Garden of Eden serpents. For months after her death, I could rarely glimpse my lost ma. The twistings blocked me. Yet recently I realized a deepening peace was permitting images of her once-loving, laughing self to reappear. Amid so many family snakes, I am not even sure who needed forgiveness for what. I just know that forgiveness lacing my memories is letting me reclaim my mother as a treasure. And so, as once more this Pentecost Sunday we absorb the gift of the Holy Spirit, I pray we will receive that power to retain or forgive the sins of many and the Spirit's wisdom to rightly manage God's amazing grace. In that faith, let's bow our heads in prayer. Peace be with you. I breathe my spirit on you. I give you power to retain or to forgive sins. Spine tingling, soul searing, terrifying words. Yet they were offered to those first disciples of Jesus, and they are offered on this Pentecost Sunday once more and yet again to us here in this congregation and in the worldwide body of Christ. Help us to be worthy of those words. Help us to tussle with them. Help us to discern how to live them out and to do so in the wisdom and power 
of that Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, granted to us thousands of years ago and now fully and thoroughly alive with us here this morning. In the name of Jesus and in the power of his Holy Spirit, we do pray. Amen.